Welcome to Digiday Live, our podcast that brings you the best sessions from our many summits around the world. I'm Aditi Sango, and today I'm bringing you a session from the Digiday Publishing Summit that we held in Vail, Colorado from March 25th to March 27th. In this session, we talk about revenue diversification. Join Michael Finnegan, president of Atlantic Media, as he discusses the ongoing evolution of the media business, starting with looking at how its portfolio of legacy brands, including the Atlantic and the National Journal, continue to innovate and diversify revenue sources to include a juggernaut events business, fast-growing digital consultancy, and other advisory services and pioneering branded content studios. So, um, you know, we're up here to talk about uh, revenue diversification. Um, I think people probably have a vague idea of uh, all the kind of different revenue streams you have, but let's just run through them. How do you guys make money uh, in addition to ads? Yeah, uh, and I can give a, a little bit of the, the, the full portfolio because we're, we're a little bit different. So, uh, you know, Atlantic, The Atlantic is sort of our namesake brand and our, our largest brand, um, but Atlantic Media has a variety of other brands as well. Uh, we have recently sold Quartz, uh, but we, we still have a management service agreement there. And we also have two B2B focused brands, National Journal and Government Executive. And I can sort of talk, I'll talk broadly through the whole portfolio uh, about the revenue stream. So obviously advertising is, is a very large revenue stream. Um, biggest? Biggest, yes. It is, uh, it is the biggest. Uh, National Journal, though, for, uh, for example, which was a, um, you know, is, has been a media brand for, for 40 years, has zero advertising now. We've fully transitioned away from advertising and into uh, what I would say is our, our next largest across the portfolio, which is uh, subscription, membership, information services. I'll, I'll sort of put all that in there together. And there's a wide gamut within there from you know, your basic give us $30 and we'll give you some words on dead trees 10 times a year to these $125,000 sort of corporate B2B membership programs. Um, so that's that sort of subscription membership, that's a, another large one. I think the, the, the next largest is uh, events, and this occurs across every one of our brands. The events are very different, some of them uh, are fully sponsorship. Uh, some of them are uh, more gate revenue or uh, user uh, consumer revenue. Um, but that's a, a very large part of our uh, revenue stream and it's been one of the ones that's been growing very quickly over the last five to seven years. Um, and then, uh, you know, we also sort of, within advertising, we, we've got the studio, uh, creative studio model, and then as an even further extension of that, we've got a, uh, a digital consulting model that, that exists just within the Atlantic, uh, and it's a business called A57 mm -hmm. that does, you know, maybe 15% of the Atlantic's revenue, somewhere mm -hmm. in that, that neighborhood. And that used to be over kind of the publishing brands, right? Like it's now been kind of tucked into Atlantic, the Atlantic, and is now, talk a little bit about that real quick. Yeah, it, I mean, it started uh, as Atlantic Media Strategies seven years ago, and it was its own separate business unit. It was not subordinated to any of the other brands. Um, the, the conceit behind it was uh, all of the Atlantic Media brands were getting more and more into native advertising. Uh, we were probably 
earlier to the, the game digitally than, than a lot of companies. And um, we were worried about be, that revenue stream being disrupted. And so what we decided we want to do was build a consultant agency that could work with brands to build their own uh, digital content shops. So, you know, one of the very early clients was General Electric. And with them, we had a, an, an annual monthly uh, retainer that we developed the website for them. We hired content creators for them. We did the distribution for them. And so the idea was if brands didn't want to go, if, if advertising brands didn't want to go to publisher brands to do their sponsored content, they could do it on their own and we would have our business over there that pulled the best practices and learnings from across all of Atlantic Media. Uh, over time, it became apparent that this was much more of a consumer sort of uh, focused uh, operation. And we began to see greater opportunities to uh, work with A57 across the Atlantic events business, with the Atlantic advertising business. And so at that point, it was probably, it was probably three or four years ago, it moved in to be subordinate within the Atlantic. Mm -hmm. um, and that's worked, that's worked really well. And so to be clear, though, the idea then, though, you saw the opportunity again to sort of thread it in with the other businesses, which we'll talk about in a moment. Yeah. But also, was it also, was there a dimension of it that had to do with sort of differing needs? So that like advertisers or brands that you might talk to uh, on the B2B government side, like they have different needs from, you know, State Farm or whoever, whatever consumer facing guys you might speak at? Like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there were definitely, it being a DC focused, uh, or DC based business, um, yeah. and in National Journal and Government Executive being completely uh, based in DC, there was a belief that a lot of the players in that market were at, a, you know, a slightly lower level of digital sophistication mm -hmm. and, and needed even more help. Maybe if they didn't want us to create a our entirely own site, it was, hey, how do we rethink our digital media strategy? Um, and that some of that did occur, but not as much of it as we thought. And, and so the, the connections with the other brands uh, didn't work out as well. And, and we, you know, we, we also, right around the time when we rolled A57 into the Atlantic, we embarked on the process to basically eliminate all advertising from uh, National Journal. And so it began to, the business model of National Journal specifically became very divorced from the types of business products and practices that A57 as a digital consultancy would have pitched to an advertising brand or a DC association or think tank or yeah. something like that. Got it. So yeah, I, the, the movement of uh, A57, now Atlantic Strategies, in uh, touches on. Previously Atlantic Media Strategies, now A57. Sorry, yes. Yeah. Um, uh, that gets at kind of the, the meat of what I want to talk with you about, which is so you have all these diff uh, different pieces of the business that mm -hmm. all, um, you know, some of which are fairly nascent, some of them have been there, you know, for a number of years. I want to talk about how you think about like kind of threading them together and kind of making them, you know, work together. Um, mm -hmm. Because uh, you and I have talked before about how, you know, often when a publisher looks to diversify revenue, they, they grab a couple people and they, yeah. they stick them in a corner and they say, figure this out. 
Um, you know, is this something we can play in? Is this going to work? It starts to develop. Um, and maybe you, you do this three or four times, and all of a sudden you have four or five different things sort of spread out in a bunch of different places, and you think, well, now what do we do? Um, yeah. So talk to me a little bit about um, you know, maybe when you sort of started to try to thread them together and um, you know, what, what that process has been like. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's, it, was a, it was something that we did early on, uh, not the threading together, the, the, the revenue diversification that I think was really great, but we did it exactly how you said, we said, you know, hey, we should do an events business, and we hired 10 people over here to go try and do events, and they basically did everything in their own way, and we said we should have this digital consulting business, and they were over here, and they were operating entirely in their own silo, and we said, gosh, we need to hire a video team, and so we hired a video team, and we need our creative studio, and so you end up having all these very siloed businesses, and that wasn't necessarily a bad thing early on because it allowed them to experiment and figure out what worked for them. But as the businesses begin to mature, we find them bumping into each other a lot more when you know somebody from the live event sales team is pitching the same client as you know the sponsored content studio team is pitching. And and are we competing against each other? Like that that's not actually something that we want to do. So over the past couple years, we have started trying to integrate the strategic operations of the teams to a much greater degree. And this has a dual benefit. Um, it has you know, an economic benefit of us being able to uh, offer our most important advertising clients uh, really integrated multi-platform campaigns. But it also, and, and this is where it actually picked up even more steam, is our ability to have impact with our editorial content and with our audience is also much more amplified. And so our, uh, our current editor-in-chief joined us two and a half years ago, Jeff, Jeffrey Goldberg. He was, he was with the company, but he was promoted to editor-in-chief, and he really had the vision of, you know, when we have an amazing cover story about, you know, My Family's Slave, which was, in 2017, the most engaged piece of content on the internet, according to Chartbeat, um, when we have something like this, isn't it, that's great that we've got this amazing cover story, but what if we can tie to it a event on global slavery and a video series on global, slo gl global slavery? Maybe an ad campaign? I, it's sort of, on global slavery, the, the, the ad campaign, uh, I don't know too many people who want to support that. But uh, we can, by, by tying together the, uh, the editorial strategies of these, we can have a much greater impact. And once we have those aligned, it makes the business strategy integration much simpler. And so, you know, we, we still have a lot of dedicated sales teams, but we now have... Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people will see this from the old, you know, the, not the old, the, the legacy portfolio brands like Condé and Hearst, is you have like a corporate sales team. We basically have a, uh, you know, a cross-platform sales team that can go out and work on some of the biggest, most ambitious products across all of our platforms. Um, and all the, those yeah. big ticket things, those are driven by by what the newsroom is doing, or they're sort of, you know, stuff that gets cooked up maybe in one corner of the, like, how does... What gets the ball rolling on those things? A couple different things. Uh, the newsroom is definitely one. Um, 
you know, we'll, you know, we'll do, we've got a, a writer, uh, James Fallows, very, very well known, who uh, last year flew around in his, he's a, he's a pilot, and he flew around in his small Cessna with his wife to a variety of uh, small town communities across America. That's something that we did last year, and it was interesting, and we wanted to do it again this year, but we, we said, how can we think of this as something much bigger? And so we were able to take out some ideas uh, that we, we'll be announcing probably in the next month or two around that to a lot of advertising partners and come up with something that took existing you know, passion and ideas and ambition and just amped it up to a, an entirely different level. So coming out of the newsroom is, is one way. Uh, there's also plenty of things that, that come out of conversation um, just with our advertising partners. Uh, you know, they have really ambitious goals of what they want to do, and we, you know, we come up with ways to, to make that happen. A lot more of those tend to be our creative studio branded rather than newsroom. Mm -hmm. um, and then sometimes it's events happening, you know, the 10-year anniversary of Hurricane Katrina or, uh, you know, the 100-year anniversary of World War I. Um, you know, we try and pick around events in time that we think have a tie to our brand mm -hmm. and think about what we can do there. So it's, it gets rolling from all different sides. I think what's key now is with the broader integration of all these functions, the ball can roll much farther than it, it used to be able to. Got it. Uh, you, in enumerating the things that you uh, do to make money, you mentioned subscriptions principally on the B2B side, uh, which, as you say, is like the principal area of revenue for them. Uh, you have also started to sort of explore what that looks like um, at the Atlantic in particular. Mm -hmm. the, you had a masthead, which is a membership program sort of aimed mm -hmm. at, I guess, what you would call like super fans. Yeah. Um, there was also, though, you, were, you had announced uh, over a year ago that you were going to kind of put a paywall up, which mm -hmm. is still uh, not arrived yet. Uh, I wrote yeah. a story a couple of weeks ago about how you guys really decided to go all the way back to the drawing board on that. Like, talk to me a little bit about where that stands and... and um, well, just give us the latest on that. We can go from there. Yeah. Um, yeah, we certainly, you know, we, we launched the masthead a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. A little bit as a, you know, as a trial and to give an open window to our super fans into how the newsroom operates. Very unique product, very uh, focused uh, sort of utility for a certain group. Um, at that point in time, we had planned on putting a paywall up in 2018. Um, you know, right around the same time, we sold a majority stake in the Atlantic to our partners at Emerson Collective. And uh, as we begin talk, began talking with them, uh, you know, about the paywall plans and about our broader ambition, uh, it became apparent that they wanted to invest a lot more. Their, their ambition for us was a, a much greater than our ambition was able to be historically. And, you know, right around the time that we announced I think this was about a year ago that we announced we were going to be adding 100 people over the next 18 months. Mm -hmm. That was the time when we said, gosh, if we're going to you know, increase the size of our staff by 35%, we should probably take a moment to rethink exactly how we want to do this B digital B2C uh, consumer revenue play. Uh, to, a, to a same equivalently higher degree of ambition. So what does that look like then? I mean, is it a, you know, yeah, 
paywall in 3D? Like, <laughs> well, <laughs> what's the what's the version of this that's that's much more ambitious and much more kind of fleshed out? Yeah, I mean, I think there, you know, if you just want to make a paywall and you want to do it with as little expense and as quickly as possible, there are plenty of ways you can go out there. You go out there, you select your vendor, you know, you add some code onto your site and you, and you turn it on. Um, that might not be the best user experience. It might not be the best for whatever your long-term ambition is. Uh, so for us, I don't know that it's necessarily like, there's going to be some enhanced features and uh, things like that, but for us, a lot of the 100 people that we're hiring are uh, in the editorial area to make um, content that we have studied, make more content that we've studied that we think is the best representation of our brand, creates the most habit, increases and enhances engagement and loyalty. So that was a big thing. If we can get our, our, our habituation and loyalty up in advance of launching a paywall, we think that a paywall will be more successful. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's more in that regards about preparing for a more successful launch than mm -hmm. the paywall's that much better. On the flip side, we invested a lot in our product and growth teams uh, so that we could really have great control over um, the user experience of how people come through the, the, the various funnels that we've seen today that Heather just talked about, how people come through that, what their experience is. Um, you know, our, our, our partners at Emerson Collective are very focused on user experience. Um, makes sense. Yeah, you know, makes sense. They, they've created, uh, they've got connections to some of the best user experience products of the modern era. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, that's, they really wanted us to, to focus on that. And with the added time and investment, it was uh, an ability for us to do it. And it was sort of a no-brainer. And is the idea then also, too, that maybe the subscription will would it include stuff beyond content like I don't know access to events or anything like how does the, the kind of move toward consumer revenue with the Atlantic uh, is it somewhat siloed and or does it fit into some of the stuff that we've been talking about you kind of threading together on the ad side um, I think we're, we're certainly hoping to add extra features in like that I think events is a very logical one for mm -hmm. us um, I can't really say too much more right now exactly about what that will be, but, uh, but I do think that there will be uh, greater features for you know, higher tiers. Got it, okay. Um, we have time for some questions if, if people have them. Uh, could be about the ad side, could be about the consumer sub side. Um, who has questions for, uh, for Michael about what they're doing with their revenue? Nothing so far. <laughs> um, well, I'll do, I'll do one more since, uh, Fair since I've got you here. Tell me a little bit about um, uh, just the, what you've done on the uh, brand studio side. So like we've talked, there's been a lot of conversation here about um, how much more competitive this space has gotten. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like uh, there's gonna be a conversation later today about sort of differentiating a brand studio. Like what have you guys sort of sought to do as a, means of, of standing out. I mean, you were, I think, earlier to it, which yep. definitely helps. So you have strong work you can point to. You have, as you point out, these other kind of like places that campaigns can manifest and so on. But like, what's the sort of strategy you've employed to make sure that the studio is d differentiated? It's harder. I mean, you know, we were uh, back in 2011, uh, you know, we, we, we took our lumps because we made up some mistakes being out there so early. Um, but we learned a lot. I think we got way out in front of the pack. Um, 
the pack is sort of caught up because it is a little bit harder to, to differentiate. Uh, you know, I think, you know, superior customer service, superior value in terms of our audience, our brand, the association is, uh, is really important. But it's tough because uh, I feel like you had a lot of, of these VC-funded media companies that for a while didn't really need to focus that much on revenue. And then they started focusing on revenue through display advertising and Google and Facebook were just eating the lunch there and as a last sort of dying gasp with whatever money they had in their war chest, they said, okay, we're gonna move from display into sponsored content. And so, you know, Neil, maybe was it Neil? I can't, somebody yesterday said, they were like, you know, we definitely see people who we would sell like a $1.5 million campaign to, and it might cost us seven, eight, nine hundred thousand dollars to actually deliver on that in, in addition to our, uh, our fixed costs. You know, now we've got some of these people who are selling that for $500,000. It's tough for us. Um, we'll have somebody who's worked with us for five years in a row who says, gosh, their price is so much better and we'd like to try something new. Uh, we're not going to decrease our price because I think that really devalues our brand and puts us in a trajectory that will be really terrible in the long run. And so sometimes we continue to hit on those, you know, the, the premium nature of the custom, customer service, the association with our brand, and we walk away from some stuff and we let them go somewhere else and, and we hope that they'll come back uh, again. I think we also do more of, uh, we used to do a lot of time to editorial and we sort of went away from that in the sponsored content stages and now we're, we're coming back with a little bit more of what I talked about with the Jim Fallows things, but it's not the old like, hey, here's the energy series and you're gonna have display advertising next to it. It's, it's much more integrated with the overall editorial initiative. Yeah, and that seems like, a, and then do one last thing on that. Sure. So with that in, in mind, with the idea of kind of like leaning back into the editorial agenda, like um, is that something that you see being a, like a growth area or something that you would expect to do more of moving forward? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, our editorial team is nothing if not amazingly ambitious. Yeah. Uh, and we're investing a lot in them, but if there are other things through uh, through sponsorship that we can that we can do even more, uh, then yes, we're gonna we're gonna continue to do as much as as we possibly can. Fantastic. We got to leave it there because we're out of time. But Michael, thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Max. Thank you. That's all for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you liked our show, then please don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Also, leave us a review and a rating, and this will help new listeners discover our podcast. If you have any other feedback, please write to me at aditi at digiday.com or tweet at me. I'm at Aditi Sangho. I'll see you soon with another episode.